The Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Good morning. This is the 3CR Spoken Word Program. I'm Di Cousins and today I'm talking to Tina Janukas, who is one of Melbourne's well-established poets. So thank you for coming on the program, Tina. Thank you for having me. So I'm just interested to find out a little bit about your history. How did you find the Melbourne poetry scene? Sometimes it's not an easy thing to discover. Well, to be honest, uh, I'm not quite sure how I first discovered it. I think you... As a young poet, you stumble into the scene. Somehow I stumbled into the Dan. Somehow I stumbled into other readings. And eventually you become part of the the crowd that attends um, poetry readings and you read your own stuff as well. Yes. And when when you first found it, uh, what, what were the gigs that were running at the time? Well, there was, of course, the Dan, which has been going for a very long time. There was La Mama, which when I stumbled on uh, into La Mama, I think that then Lauren Williams was uh, doing that gig. And I remember seeing people like Alex Gorin there, such poets. There was the Builder's Arms Hotel. And there was a few other readings going around as well. Yeah. And at some point you started publishing poems in journals and anthologies and your own first chapbook or book? No, I never published a chapbook. I, I, I published a first collection, right. which I, um, I called uh, In a Bigger City. And that began as an MA project and the collection grew out of the MA project. Uh, I did a Master of Arts in Creative Writing at the University of Melbourne. Well done. Okay, would you like to share one of your earlier poems? Sure. I think I'll read um, the opening or one of the early poems in this collection. It's called Another Wall. The centre wall was unfathomable. The language in which they spoke already empty. They said scream and you'll be heard. The deaths, the shards, peeling off skins, leaving track marks of despair like the addict's encounter with his insistence. Thus it guides, men who'd stood at walls, granting the sanctities, had the solution. The siren's wail excited old passions, delicate city sensibilities offended, but this wall, the best thing that has happened, all will happen again. A native of the city had spoken. He'd stood at walls, walls that had crumbled, but still... He was right. Citizen, how will your walls keep me out? I am the enemy inside your head, your friend. Oh, this city of mine, what new woe ails you? The graffiti artists ceased their art. The citizens built their wall. Long live the city. Mm, And what inspired you? What was lying underneath that poem? Mm, that's a very good question. I think it was really the beginning of the, uh, you know, these divisions we've seen in the culture and I was very worried about that and I felt that people were building walls around their particular sensibilities, 
their ideas and I just didn't think that was a very good thing and it's gone on ever since. Yes, people become very self-protective in a isolating way. That's it, it doesn't have a lot of generosity to it. No, and I think that poem uh, tries to pick up on that kind of notion. And also there, there's a certain irony in the poem and a certain critique of that that sort of thing. And, you know, we, we see this going on in the contemporary culture. It's a very long time since I wrote that poem and it's still going on and it's in some ways getting worse. Yep. And what's the role of poetry considering all the divisions in the world? Mm. I think uh, poetry remains one of the most powerful art forms in exploring potentialities, in critiquing situations and in you know, seeing ways forward through these kinds of uh, tensions. And I think it's also a way to share that experience and to find common ground with others who are also experiencing the same angst and uh, concern, so yeah, building think, a wider voice. I think that's uh, very true, particularly for poets uh, who like to come together and uh, read their poems and hear one another. Yes. Now, I I'm, I have an eternal uh, gratitude to you because the first poetry reading that I ever went to was at Spontino. Oh, I'm. Thank you. Uh, yes, I ran um, poetry reading at Los Pantino, what was then called Los Pantino Cafe in St Kilda, and there were quite a few poets that that used to come that have gone on to do marvelous things in poetry, including yourself. And uh, I had such uh, poets as the marvelous, a fantastic uh, Dorothy Porter, uh, and Geordie Orbiston, Chris Wallace Crabb, and and others. Yes, it was um, it was very exciting as someone who hadn't ever been to a live poetry reading before to be in that world and to see it all out there, you know. And uh, I had a bunch of poems in my back pocket that had been sitting in a, a drawer waiting for their moment and it was amazing to find that a moment could arrive. Well, I think that's what poetry readings do and I think that's why it's important to have venues where people can read their poetry and have a variety of venues like we do now. We have an enormous variety of venues because there's an opportunity for people to read their poems at uh, many different places and find uh, perhaps the best audience for their work. Yes, I mean, at the moment we have so much choice that there's a sense that it's a problem because you just, I mean, there's so many gigs you can't get to enough of them. And, you know, it's a bit overwhelming. There's just too many gigs, really. Well, yeah, you know, and you know what, that's a good thing. You know, that's (laughs) a good thing because you can say, well, this week I'm going to go to Passionate Tongues and uh, next week I'm going to go over to Sloth Arts in Footscray. And the good thing about that is that you do get exposed to different poetics and different poets, and I think that's very good for poets. It is, and um, now let's let's hear another poem from your first book. Sure. All right. Um, let me just flick through. I'll read uh, a love poem, uh, an early one. I'll call this, well, it's called The Woman's Lament. In your city, lover, please, because I want to tell you of something that is no longer possible and which everyone holds in high esteem. In your city, I have lost all talent for the art of lovemaking. Mm, there's something not quite right about that city. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, you know, the city is a metaphor here, isn't it, yes, really? And yes. it's about um, how one can lose oneself, how one finds oneself, what does it mean to be in someone else's world. Yes. And the word lover, it doesn't have to be interpreted strictly as the lover. It can be interpreted in all sorts of ways. Yeah. And it's about the loss of power. And uh, But the thing is that in writing the poem, you somehow write yourself back into power. So yes. it's very interesting. There's something about crystallising experience through expression that gives a distance and that enables one to seize control of the experience. Well, that's right, and to share it. But also in in the writing of of such experiences, one enters all sorts of uh, states of being. And uh, I think in poetry that's a large part of what you're exploring, among other things. Yes, it's a different state of mind. Mm, That's right, yeah. Would you like to read another one? And then we might go to a break. All right. Uh, what kind of poem shall I read for you? Well, how about this one? About sitting at tram stops. There's something to be said about sitting at tram stops. The breeze hustling the plane trees into motion. A bird dropping to the ground in careful investigation. And other people's conversations like bubbles of hope. A beautiful simplicity, just capturing that moment. It's a kind of a Melbourne poem, sitting at tram stops. And yeah. you, you catch snippets of conversation and try to make sense of all these words that are coming at you from around from other people. Yes, yes. And I think just realising the presentness of that moment and everything in it. Okay, so we might just go to a little bit of music. Um, so, Tina, what have you brought along? Well, I've brought along quite a variety of music, but we could kick it off with uh, some rembetica. And I've brought in a CD called uh, Rembetica Songs of the Greek Underground, uh, songs written between uh, 1925 and 1947. Amazing. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, these are classic songs with some of the great names of rembetica music from... Marco Bambacari, the wonderful uh, Rosa Eskenazi, who has a beautiful voice. So we could uh, play a, a track or two from that, if you like. Okay.
Listening to the 3CR Spoken Word Program. Uh, my name is Di Cousins, and today I'm talking to Tina Giannoukos about her poetry and the Melbourne poetry scene. Now, we've just listened to a little bit of Rembetica music. What was that song about? Well, that song was from the CD, Rebetica, Greek Underground Songs of Musicians, 1925-1947, and that was a song by... Apostolos Calvaris, sung by Stella Haskell. That's the original version of that song. And the original song was, in fact, a political song about uh, the members of the left and uh, who'd been uh, arrested and thrown into jail. And uh, the song could not be performed as uh, it was originally written, and uh, it was rewritten as, uh, as a love song. Some of the lines were changed. And, in fact, it's become a classic of the Rebetico repertoire, and it's been sung by many, many artists since the original song. And you have a Greek background, so you can understand the words, I'm guessing. Yes, I do. (laughs) I do have a Greek background, and yes, I do understand (laughs) the words, and the words are beautiful. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, so talking about poetry, you produced a second uh, book of your work. When did that come out? Uh, that came out uh, in 2016 when I, when I returned from my time in China. Oh, okay. So what was the driving force behind this collection? Like was there an overarching theme or was... I, uh, yes, like uh, in a bigger city which had to do with the city and the layers of the city and moving through the city, this one is to do with uh, the theme of love. Beautiful. And, uh, yeah, mm. and uh, there are a series of sonnets, 58 mm. of them in total. Amazing. Was it, do you find it constricting writing to a form or was it liberating? Well, I kind of write my own form. What I did do is for, except for one, I think, I stuck to the 14 lines, uh, but within those 14 lines I 
was doing many different things. Okay. And it's called Bull Days. Yes, it is. And what does that mean, Bull Days? Well, it's um, the phrase comes from one of the lines in one of the sonnets. Okay. Which I may read for you. All right. What would you like to read? Okay. Well, um, I'll, well, I'll read that particular poem from which the title comes. When you touch me, it is the hand of God. I agree to restrain the gravity of this emotion. I begin the long march in death's dominion. I bear imperfectly the thought that I'm alone. Mona Lisa's smile remains enigmatic. This is the only wisdom I possess. They marked you. They marked you all your life. Moonlight still shines on what you left behind. The will is muscular. Like muscle, it tears. You sentenced me to hard labour. Once, I was beautiful, but that was rapture. The tongue of love tastes tough in these bull days. This is the conspiracy of the figure too. The flowers in the garden grow mottled. Mmm, yeah. Sentencing me to hard labour. So... That was a difficult relationship. Well, you know, is it about a relationship or is it a metaphor really for all sorts of other things that happen in life? Yes, of course. Mm. And very beautifully done. Thank you. So let's talk about uh, what's going on in Melbourne at the moment. So you're a member of the Melbourne Poets Union. Yes, I'm a member of the committee. Of, of the well, I'm a member of Melbourne Poets Union and of the committee. Yes, so I'm an ordinary committee member. Great. Sometimes that's the best role. <laughs> and um, anyway, I, I passed. I'm past secretary and past vice president of MPU. What's happening with MPU at the moment? Well, um, it's an exciting time at, uh, to be at MPU. I mean, I'm also the workshop coordinator, so I organise uh, the workshops. And uh, they've been fairly successful. Well, in fact, very successful. We've had uh, Kevin Brophy, Myron Lysenko, uh, Cassandra Atherton. And our next one will be Michael Farrell. Wonderful. Which will be in uh, June. Uh, I'm also the editor-in-chief. So we're redesigning our chapbooks. And we're launching the first one with uh, Kevin Brophy. So that'll be in April. And we have two series. One is for published poets who've published a book and the other is for those who've never published a collection. They can uh, submit their manuscript uh, when submissions open for our unpublished poet series. Great. And tell me about the workshop in with Michael Farrell. Uh, that's in June, did you say? That's in June, early June, and uh, it'll be a three-hour workshop. And uh, Michael is always exciting. His work is interesting and I think um, it's a workshop that uh, I hope that uh, and uh, recommend many people to attend. Yeah, well, wonderful. Okay, so now you've done all sorts of things. You've written a PhD in creative writing and you've spent some years living in China. As a creative experience, what was living in China like? Oh, well, in my imagination, I'm still there. <laughs> it was... Uh, Look, China is an amazing country. It's uh, got a very, very deep and very layered history. I lived in Beijing and I taught 
at the Beijing University of Technology and it was a marvellous time for me. I spent my spare time, of course, um, visiting sites, travelling to other parts of China and within Beijing I would go to the Beijing Bookworm where there were poetry readings, uh, poets passing through giving readings, the visual arts, uh, amazing experience. Wonderful. So what would you like to read next? I might read maybe a a poem uh, about China. I'm working on a collection at the moment and this is possibly one of the poems that might go into that collection. Lions at Lugo Chiao. There is no name of artist or sculptor who wield the shape. Imagine the sun gleaming off stone as he hewed hardness into ore. The first to pick the stone delineate line as if an immortal sculpting air into existence must have had vision of the beasts at dawn, or was it dusk? The shaman, he daydreamed the stone dream of time, talisman of a stonemason's wonder, his growling masks of pleasure, unexpected genies of time. Lugo Chao, whose aqueous sound floats on the air like the scent of the cooling peach in summer, goes by another name, a traveller's name, Marco Polo Bridge, revealing it trades in possibilities of nomenclatures as if the Book of Changes speaks. Did a low cloud float across his horizon as Marco Polo too crossed the bridge? The Yongding River, a rushing water in his day, a flow of easy waters in mine. My horizon is checked by railway bridge in one direction, a highway in the other. Impossible now to guess the ancient landscape. One pink fortress stands behind and forwards is a village. The undulating stone beneath my feet, watery as the moon. I walk off the bridge, trace the line of a village, arrive at the river below to trudge across the causeway. Envision the locals trapped in a shadow play of stone and dream, fragile inheritors of those who lived here, the landscape changing around them like a gossamer web of dreams. A man on his haunches talks into his mobile phone as timelines converge into a single dream of stone. A climb and iron stare to the other side, pause at railway tracks to watch trains roll by, a freight train like a beast of slithering iron. Who would have thought it? Train spotting at Lugo Chow. Falling light draws a curtain over the horizon. My theatre of animated dreams suspended as the bridge returns to itself, dusk turning all into a stone arc of fading dreams. A kite soaring over Lugo Chow like a a gigantic bird. As I walk the highway, the dust and dirt of Beijing envelop my body like a river whose flow is carrying me back into the mouth of a city. Beijing's potentialities as I search for my bus stop shimmer on the darkening horizon, a mirage of towers of glass. The leftover shanties around me, refuse of a different life, are as real as the stone lines of Lugo Chao and as fragile. On the bus and then the subway, this hot evening, the bridge becomes a fabulous tale of a bridge of stone lines, a bridge like no other, a bridge of sleeping visions, the bedrock of my stone dreams of Marco Polo's travels. Enamoured with sight of line, the growing moon legate of my myth-making, I find 
my nighttime equilibrium in the balance of reverie and fantasy, a dark business, my thoughts a stream of drifting narratives, the world at nightfall a darkening vision of chimerical awakenings. On their balustrades, the stone lines of Lugo Chao sit gazing like lords, sentinels of a different time, yet alive with their dreams of stone, creatures that growl and snap from columns grey with moonlight. It's a beautiful, evocative poem and it very much takes me there. So well done. Thank you. So tell me, what inspired you to write such a long poem? Well, I don't know that I intended to write a long poem. It's how the poem evolved. Uh, it's about what we in in West in the Western world call the Marco Polo Bridge, which of course is not the name by which the bridge is known in China. In China, they call it uh, Lugo Chao, Chao being the Chinese name for bridge. Um, so I visited the bridge, and uh, it's very beautiful, and it's been there since the Jin Dynasty, which is a very long time ago. And um, I was inspired by the bridge. And uh, as often happens, you think about it and the imagery comes back and eventually you start to write a poem. And, of course, the bridge is always a wonderful metaphor for so many things in terms of crossings between different destinations and worlds and ideas. And Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that poem tries to um, uh, meet that challenge and struggle with it and make sense of it. Um, and it sets up that notion that you're at the bridge and at the same time there's a, a railway nearby and you, you stand there looking at the trains. Yes. Yes, and it's got a lot of very beautiful imagery. Thank you. Um, but, yeah, Beijing is a complex place, very complex. Mm. Well, it's about 3,000 years old. And I don't think I could ever tire of Beijing. There are just so many layers to that city and uh, there's so much activity mm. within the city in terms of uh, music and art exhibitions and uh, just visiting temples and and just walking the city. Yeah. So you're working on a collection of poems inspired by your time in China. I'm working towards one, yes. Okay. Yeah, and so we look forward to seeing that when it's when it's given birth. Thank you. Thank you for coming on today. It's been my pleasure. Today's guest is Tina Giannoukas and I'm Di Cousins and this has been the 3CR Spoken Word Programme.